Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with actual comedy royalty. I sit with Charlie Higson. That's right. I mean, we talk about so much on this episode. We talk about his new podcast, uh, History of the Monarchy, speaking of royalty. And uh, and we talk about his uh, other podcast, Charlie Higson and Friends, um, where he gets absolute mega names in comedy on and, and talks to them about their life and, and music. In classical music, essentially, um, and so not only am I sitting here thinking I'm about to inter- you know interview a, an absolute comedy hero of mine, but also somebody that's got a successful music podcast. So I was very nervous. Them nerves evaporated in seconds when Charlie popped up on the screen because he's such a nice guy, and we have such a delightful chat. And I can't wait for you to hear it. it's coming your way very soon. But before um, we do that. Uh, we uh, we always like to do a little thank you. So my my thanks first of all start with you lot because you've been so kind with your time and you've given you know five hundred episodes of this podcast you know your your time and 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 a lot of the time your love I've I've received so many nice messages about um, you know what you get from this podcast and and people that have enjoyed it and it's really nice to get those those messages so for you know for all of you that have supported the podcast and liked it and shared it and retweeted it and messaged me about it thank you so much um you'd think by 500 episodes i'll be done but i'm not i'm having the best time i've, I've just interviewed charlie Higson for god's sake you know I, it, it just keeps getting better and better um i also want to thank scroobius pip <clears throat> because he's the uh he's the guy that got me involved in this podcast in Malarkey and it's been such a, a life changing thing and it's become such a huge part of my, my life and, and my job and uh and, and it all can be scaled back to, to Mr. Pippikins um getting me involved. I want to thank the team at the Blue Murder Club podcast, which is another great podcast you should check out. It's a true crime pod and uh and and the team over there produced this podcast. So so big thanks to everybody at the Blue Murder Club podcast. Listen, before I get on with it, another thing. Once you've finished uh, today's episode, um, if you're kind of new to it, you've missed so many episodes. And if you like your comedy, then, you know, I mean, if you like uh, the Higsons, uh, Charlie's band that he was in, uh, in, in in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, I've had Terry Edwards, uh, who was a Higson, 
and uh, and my chat with Terry uh, was was recorded a few years ago, and uh, and it's a delightful chat. We, we we talk about Terry's work with Nick Cave and with Gallon Drunk and a myriad of artists, and uh, and that's a great chat. Uh, and in regards to people that make you laugh, well, I've been lucky that I've had guests like. Oh, I've also had Simon Day on. I forgot about that. Simon Day of the Fast Show um, had a great chat with with, with Simon. Um, but also, you know, in, in, in the realms of stand-up, Ed Gamble, uh, James Acaster, uh, um, Jade Adams, Maisie Adam, uh, Reese James, so many um, big comedy heavyweights have, uh, have swung past the studio and, uh, and had a natter with me about music, and they're all there to be enjoyed for free, alongside, you know, all your, all your bands and musicians and DJs. Um, producers, big, big super producers like Fatboy Slim and Butch Vig and, uh, and yeah, monster rock bands like The Killers and Blur and Foo Fighters and Motley Crue. They've all been on. I've had them all. <laughs> and you can go and check them all out for free wherever you get your podcasts. Now, like I say, over 500. This is a labour of love, this podcast. I don't make money out of this. And, uh, and the way that you know, I can kind of help pay the the team that produced this, and and you know, and the time that I put into to, to keeping these these coming at you thick and fast is you can go and check out my Patreon, and uh, and it costs a dollar a month. What's that? Seventy something pence, I think. Uh, and that dollar not only does it kind of you know express and and and, and offer a, a thank you uh, for the pod. I give you loads of stuff as well. So um, I put up all the videos over on Patreon so you can watch all the the episodes, should you wish. There's a huge archive over there of radio shows, um, mixtapes, Spotify playlists, um, unreleased episodes, bundles of stuff, like hundreds of them. And uh, and that, that dollar a month will get you access to all of that. And one thing I do each month as well is a live show. I do a little live show on Zoom and we pick a little topic and you all jump on and we have a lovely chat. Not in a kind of snobby, elitist, muso way. You know, we talk about embarrassing records. We talk about whatever song it is, if it sparks a, a memory or, or something that brings happiness, sorrow, sadness, joy, whatever. We talk about it and it's lovely and it's your opportunity to feature uh, on an episode, uh, I've uploaded a few, so you can go and and, and listen to them uh, on the same place that you you're listening to this. Um, alternatively, you can listen to them all again uh, for your one dollar a month. So yeah, so let's break that down. Hundreds of radio shows, hundreds of video episodes, massive archive of never released episodes, and a weekly live, sh- uh, a monthly live show that you can come on for seventy p a month. And uh, and if you can do that. That would be wonderful. I know this is the bit that most people skip to get to the good stuff. And the good stuff's coming, trust me. Um, but if you can take a moment and and head over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash off the beat and track. Um, there'll be a little video you can watch for free where it's uh, my silly face telling you um, all the stuff that you get. And that was recorded ages ago, so it's probably a little bit out of date now, but you get even more stuff now. So, uh, so yeah, if you can spare that dollar a month, that will be amazing. Um, anything else you need to know about the podcast, uh, including the Patreon, there's a one-stop shop, and that's the website, and that's off the 
beat and it's beat and not beaten off the beat and track podcast.com i think that's all of that bit done now so we can get on to the the good stuff gives me great pleasure to say this please enjoy off the beat and track podcast with the wonderful charlie hickson <laughs> It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Give me stew with him. Okay, we are recording. Charlie Hickson, how are you? I'm very good, actually. Yes. How Wonderful. are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Well, look, there's so much I want to talk about regarding music today, but um, before we do anything, let's talk about your new podcast. Because normally okay, like, yeah, when guests it. come on and they've got something, I always save it till the end, but it seems pointless. <laughs> Let's just jump straight in. Tell us about the podcast. Yeah, I'm not, I, I've done a few of these lately, and um, I thought, yeah, I'll do that. That'll be fun to do, and, and I can talk about the podcast, and then it finishes, and I, I carry on with my day, and then I think, I forgot to mention the bloody podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just enjoy doing them. So, so, yes, I've taken a slight sort of sideways step into doing into doing podcast well i'm doing a a history podcast i suppose most people might assume i would do a a comedy podcast and i've been trying to persuade paul whitehouse to do one do one with me but um he's he's proving reluctant at the moment but uh, i'm working on him but yeah i I mean for the past gosh at least 10 years or so i've been a regular at a thing called the chalk valley history festival which is a fantastic history festival in the chalk valley funnily enough in wiltshire um, and it has brilliant, it has all the all the top historians on. And I, I initially went to host a kind of comedy history quiz, which I do every year. But then I also said, well, look, while I'm here, I'll, I'll do a talk. So I've been delving into history and um, I got interested when I was at um, when I was at school in the 1960s, um, back in the days when history was still sort, taught as a sort of narrative thing of kings and queens and great men and battles. Uh, I, I was taught a rhyme, Willy, Willy, Harry, Stee, Harry, Dick, John, Harry, three, etc., which is the monarchy from William I to the present day. And during lockdown, I kind of got into it. I thought, I'm going to learn who these people were, just decided to keep myself occupied. Yeah. And I thought, well, this is such a mad and interesting story. I will share it with the world. So that's what I'm doing. It's, it's, it's an old school narrative history. We start with William the Conqueror, and I will end sometime next year with, with, with Charles III. And people can get that wherever they get their podcast, right? Wherever you get your podcast, there it is. Called Willy Willy Harry Stee. Wonderful, wonderful. We'll put the uh, the, the link to it in the show notes to this show. So Excellent. when people finish listening to this, they can head over and, 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 and check it out. Um, I did also see that you'd, you'd dabbled in podcasting. And there were some music-based podcasts uh, that you'd done previously. Yes, I have. Um, well, it, it, they started as... Um, it was a sort of a regular series I've been doing on on Scala Radio, which is a fairly new um, classical music classical music station. Uh, it's kind of, a, I suppose, a rival to Classic FM. Um, trying to aim, they're trying to aim for a slightly younger audience, which means they're aiming at the sort of fifty-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I've always, you know, I've always been interested in classical music, and it is kind of my first love and i know on this um podcast it's kind of like what was the first um music i bought and and it 
it was mostly classical. I was, a t- I was a terrible, <laughs> I was a terrible nerd when I was a teenager. But I do love classical music. So I have a show on Scala Radio, which I do occasionally, called Charlie Higgs and Friends, where I talk to friends about about classical music. But it's wider than that because the remit on Scala is wider. So it's not just classical. It's film music. It's you know music from games, from TV shows, anything really using the sort of setup of of a, of a classical orchestra as it were sure. um and and so many people you know say oh, i don't i don't really listen to any classical music and then you say well you know have you watched any films recently yeah because uh, essentially you know that's a lot of that is is an orchestra and you know a lot of people do listen to um soundtrack music again most of the early albums i bought alongside classical and jazz was uh soundtrack albums so um you know i've had obvious people like paul whitehouse and harry enfield and um amanda Yannucci, lucy porter arabella weir so that people i know who and 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 you know bob mortimer who freely confessed that he doesn't really listen to any classical music but with a bit of probing and found out there were bits of music that he liked and, yeah. and you know, bits from films that he'd liked and stuff. So, But it's mainly a way of talking to someone. The great thing about it is the actual shows when they go out are like two hours long and you so rarely get the chance, even in real life, <laughs> to talk to any of my friends for that long. Yeah. But to do it on the radio is great and just to share music. So I I, I play some of my favourite tracks and they play something else. And, and having done some, Scala said, well, let's put this out as as a podcast so yes it's 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 available there that might be slightly harder to get hold of I'm not sure that's available on all platforms you might have to go through the scala radio app okay well we find that that the, the show notes for uh, we pop that in the show notes as well right well let, let's start your playlist today and uh, yeah and, and charlie i'm gonna ask you first to tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro please it's so, well, that's such a difficult question, isn't it? Everyone says that. Everyone says this uh, is a tough one. Well, because there are so many, and there are so <laughs> many great intros that come on, and you think, oh, yes, I love this. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, you could I could have gone for a bombastic one, like Born to Run or something yeah. about Bruce Springsteen. But actually, I do prefer music that is a little more... Um, I'm not laid back, but I, I like music that's quite sort of casual and relaxed. I don't really go for the sort of big soul belters that sort of x-factor style of singing where you why sing one note when you can sing 12 and everything is just passionate and and blaring at you i like things which are understated and i like it when it's just a really great bunch of musicians come together they all know exactly what they're doing it's like okay now let's get into the groove um and i think a perfect example of that and i chose it because i've been listening to it quite a lot recently is love and happiness by al green um, you know, at his peak, those songs were just—they were just so in control. And again, he—you know—he's a—he's an understated singer. Yeah. You know, he enjoys singing. He's a great singer, but he's not wailing and bellowing. Uh, and and the intro for this is very—it's very simple. I mean, there's an extended bit where he's kind of getting into it, and the guitar's noodling a bit, and then it's like the drummer says, "Okay, let's go for it." And I do like an intro that starts with a drum beat. I was toying with um, Like a Rolling Stone. Oh, yeah. Again, one of the most famous opening snare beats in no history. Chose which, that, Charlie. I don't find Really? I'm surprised. Well, no maybe they think it's too like obvious. I don't Stone. know because, it, you know, it, 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 it kind of announces 
you know, not just a song, but it's a kind of like a new style of music for Bob Dylan yeah. and everything. It's like, okay, this is going to be something new. Also sound and vision. You see, that starts with a great, mm. great drum beat, the, the sort of um, synthetic drums. But the, the Al Green, Love and Happiness, is just, the drummer says, okay, here we go, tap, tap. And then everything just falls into that amazing groove. And the rest of the song carries on and it's fine. Yeah. Uh, and occasionally they think, well, let's let's do the intro again because that's the best <laughs> bit. But no, it's a fabulous piece of music. You, you said that you've been listening to that uh, at Al Green recently. Where, where do you listen to music? Well, I work from home. I have a studio, uh, which I am in at the moment. Um, and I've always worked from home. Um, and for years, I I thought, well, I can't listen to music when I'm when I'm writing because it would be a distraction. But then I thought, well, I'm sat at this desk for like eight hours a day or whatever. And I kind of tried to do office hours. Um, and, you know, I did have a good audio set up, set into the computer, but I, I wouldn't use it when I was right. But I thought I've got to work out a way of actually that I can listen to music because, you know, it, it's my office. My wife was not working from home. So I was just me by myself all day I could blare out music as loud as I wanted um so I start and this was back before Spotify um I started putting together sort of playlists on on iTunes um and and it was mainly starting with classical uh or um film soundtrack music stuff without vocals stuff that it wasn't going to kind of um interfere with me but but could act and, and, and it really came together for me when i started writing a series of young james bond books i wanted to put some music on that would get me into the right frame of mind for writing and and could act in a way as a soundtrack to to what i was writing so I, you know, I put together a Bond playlist. I've I've got loads of Bond soundtrack albums, and and obviously start with the James Bond theme, kick it off, and away you go. And it worked fantastically well. And what I realised was because I I will I will usually have two or three different projects on at once. Is is I'll put together a different playlist for each one, so I can switch. My my head gets in the right place. So I might be you know back in then those days I might have been doing you know young James Bond in the morning something else in the afternoon with a completely different playlist and you hit the different playlist and your mind is instantly in the right place and I found that I, I it worked really well and I really enjoyed it um and I, I also would I put together a sort of general writing um writing playlist for any project which has got actually got a lot of Philip Glass on it a lot of writers say they listen to Philip Glass when they're working oh really yeah, because I think it's, it's because of the music. It, they tend the pieces tend to be quite long and quite repetitive, and because it's a sort of se sequential music or whatever, there's not a lot of sudden blaring loud bits, and then quiet bits, and then a fast bit, and then yeah. a slow bit. It tends to be slowly kind of unfolding and revolving, and it sort of mirrors one's one's sort of brain patterns. I think when you're writing, so Philip Glass is brilliant to write to. Um, I mean, all my playlists are there, you know, once I got, well, you know, once Spotify became a thing, I started making them on Spotify because I had unlimited choice of stuff. And they're all there if anyone wants to check them out and listen to them. Um, but yeah, so um, 
so now I can happily listen to music all day, all day long. Fantastic. Well, let's get back to uh, this list and for track two. Uh, could you tell me, please, the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please, Charlie? Well, emotional is it's, it's a wide it's a wide range, isn't it? Mm. From happiness to sorrow via whatever's in the middle, and whether that even is an emotion, I don't know. Um, for emotional music, I would normally turn to to kind of classical music. I mean, for me, the most emotional piece that I find the most moving is probably the Liebestod from. Um, Wagner's Tristan and Isolde opera, which sounds terribly poncy and highfalutin, but it's, it's the love death. It's basically um, Isolde dying out of sort of ecstasy in some ways, uh, and it, it, I mean it's basically it's 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 a very long orgasm. Uh, it is a very beautiful piece of music, but the, I, I've I've gone with actual more um, well in the realm of of pop music. It's a very broad church. Uh, and uh, well, I, I mentioned it just now. It's the James Bond theme by John Barry, because definitely as a as a little kid. Hearing that for the first time in the cinema. Was was completely emotionally overwhelming. It's the most exciting thing. And, 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 and you know, it, it instantly transports you into this world of, of glamour and and sex and excitement and um, and and people being cool. So as a as a as a small boy, that 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 that's the sort of emotion that you want. <laughs> you don't want something to make you sad. <laughs> Absolutely. I suppose there were things. Well, it made me happy. Mm. So it made me very very happy and excited. So yes, a very extreme emotion, and and it's a type of music because, you know, it's the music you listen to when you're young that stays with you through your life. That you do have the closest emotional connection with because you're hearing these things for the first time and you're you're going through so much in your life for the first time uh and so any kind of musical accompaniment to that uh, takes on a, a much deeper emotional value and than than anything anything i can hear now as an old man although as you do get older there are some pieces of music that you dismissed as a young person mm. and now you're thinking oh, i get it now absolutely yeah. absolutely um two questions um where was where was you at this point? Where was growing up and was home musical? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Yeah, I lived in a giant music box. Um, <laughs> and my father would get up in the mornings and turn the handle. Until <laughs> you come out like uh, Camberwick Green. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Life would have been so much simpler if that was the case. I'm a, I'm a very sort of dull, straight down the line, sort of middle class product of the home counties. Um, as a small boy, I was mostly in Crawley in Sussex. Uh, then we moved to Seven Oaks in Kent. My father worked in the city, wore a bowler hat. He was an accountant and he commuted. Um, and we lived in a very nice, um, we were just outside Seven Oaks, sort of in very rural uh, and those are when most of my my strong memories are from. Yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, uh, the, the prep school I was at, where I learnt the Willy Willy Harry Steer rhyme, was a little one called Font Hill uh, near Tunbridge. Which, uh, in the words of in the words of Rob Reiner in Spinal Tap, uh, "Don't look for it; it isn't there anymore." Uh, <laughs> it was there were hundreds and hundreds of these kind of prep schools back in the sort of. Uh, early mid 20th century which i think they'd all sort of sprung up to well they serviced the public schools which had been set up largely to to train the children of empire really to give them the the, the education they need and so they could board there if they you know their parents were abroad or whatever and yeah most of those those prep schools have gone now but this very eccentric little place run by a man called mr carter who i, who I assumed owned it as well um so it was his own little kingdom there and and yeah, you know, I've got I've got I've got good memories of those days, but it was all, it was all reasonably sort of straightforward and straight down the line, and, and as I say, very middle class. But what's wrong with that? Nothing. Was there a, a record player at home? Oh yes, no, a musical family. Yeah, yeah, we did. I mean, my father, he he never had a. He wasn't one of those kind of. I'm going to get a really fancy hi-fi set. It's really interesting. I read when I travel. If I've got long flights, I always buy like one of the music, the old school music magazines, which I'm amazed every time I go to the airport. I think, well, it must have shut down by it's now. It's the only like, time I buy them as well, Sean. Yeah, it's like Mojo and um, Q. Uncut. <laughs> yeah, yes, a Q, and they kind of take turns to interview the same people. <laughs> but I find what I find fascinating about it because I didn't really pay attention at the time, so I, I was never really into sort of pop and rock music. But it's reading about all those old bands who, as you were sort of aware, were out there. People like Buffalo Springfield and names like that, but never really knew who they were or listened to any of their music. So finding out the stories of these, I quite, I find quite interesting. Um, but so many of them, you know, they, they mention the fact that, you know, in the, I guess it was probably more towards the late sixties and into the seventies. If you were a, a bloke you got the best hi-fi setup you could get your hands on. That was the most important thing to have in your living room. It was a great amp, a really good turntable, top quality needle, and some huge speakers. Mm. And you know that's how you listen to music. And and music does just sounds does sound amazing with that setup. But now, kids, despite the fact that you've got access to technology that can play stuff for you, they they don't seem to be interested. Mm. I mean, obviously, they, 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 there is a sort of slight hipsterist thing with vinyl and turntables, but most of most kids, you know, they'd be playing music off their phone mm. 
and they won't even bother to put it through a speaker. They'll just play it off the phone on the table, mm. or that you know they'll, they'll you know have a um, obviously they listen to headphones quite a lot, um, or th- or again at their computers. But the idea of having a really good hi-fi setup in the home doesn't really seem to be important to people, um, which which I think is a shame. But yeah, I mean, my dad wasn't one of those blokes who needed a really good hi-fi setup. I remember he came home one day and he was very proud. He bought this unit that kind of did everything, including it had an eight-track Amazing. cartridge slot in it. Not that we had any eight-tracks and he never <laughs> bought one. But you could get an adapter and put a cassette player into an eight-track adapter and shove that in. So it worked as a, as a tape player and a radio and a, and a turntable. So it was everything all in one box. So it was really pretty crappy um, with two little speakers. But he seemed happy about that. But then then he, he did upgrade because he started, in later life, he started getting into classical music. Um, and we had an okay set up in the living room. And I really got into classical music. And I'd get home from school and I'd, I'd put, put move the speakers on the floor and lie between them with them facing at me and play things like Wagner, loud classical music, um, the sort of heavy metal side of classical music. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, which was great but you know i mean my father had this set of records a few classical records he didn't have any <clears throat> pop or rock <clears throat> excuse me so i'm not doing one of my parents <laughs> 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 um, he didn't have any pop or rock. i remember once um he and my mum had a party the only party i remember them ever having and so they needed to get some music for it so they bought one album <laughs> and it was by a band called Sounds Incorporated. Yeah. Do you know who Sounds Incorporated were? Did they do the uh, Age of uh, Dawn of Aquarius? No, no, no. Oh, God, who was that? No, that was... That'll come to me. No, Sounds Incorporated were essentially um, session musicians. Right. And they they basically... Any time an American you know, rock and roll act would come over, they they wouldn't afford to bring a band with them, so that they, they would use right. English musicians and sounds incorporated with the kind of go to setup. They're sort of musicians who could play anything and everything, and they did a couple of albums of of instrumentals, cover versions mostly of things at the time. Um, so that was <laughs> that how, was. How, how did that go down at the do? Well, you know, <laughs> they they would play one side, then play the other, then go back and play the first side again. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean it was quite funny. But I then inherited the album and I played it to death. It, um, the, the, their first album is is brilliant, and it had a few kind of uh, sort of pop versions of uh, classical music on, yeah, like the William Tell overture, for instance. It was quite like the Shadows, who yeah. I think also they also played sort of backup to other people, didn't they? Lots of twangy guitar, which was which which, which I liked as a kid. I guess because it all sounded like James Bond. Um, but my brother, luckily I had an older brother, my oldest brother. My second brother was more into kind of prog rock and Genesis, which I never got into. But my oldest brother had 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 quite a good record collection. Um, and again, it, it was slightly eclectic. I don't know what you would describe that, sort of early 70s people like Family and um, Faust and um you know it, 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 it's pink floyd you know veering away from what what he would have seen as commercial stuff um and um 
Well, I won't say the other one because I think it's the answer to my next question. Okay. Maybe we should move on to that. Let's let's do that because we're talking about those formative years. So tell me, Charlie, the song that reminds you of your time at school, please. Well, the the album of my brothers that I really got into most and that I listened to over and over again and and would instantly take me back to to those those years. So I sort of early teenage years was um, the Velvet Underground and Nico, um, which just kind of spoke to me. You know, it, it's quite it's quite sort of straightforward there's not a lot of well there's 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 experimental showing off but it's not like let's do a drum solo let's do a guitar solo the drums basically more mo tucker just starts up with a rhythm and carries on till the end of the song mm-hmm. and then stops which for me was perfect and it all tended to be quite sort of repetitive and and for me as this sort of as i say sort of nerdy middle class schoolboy in in commuter district in kent listening to that album transported me to a much more dark and exciting world of kind of New York in the early seventies with all these kind of freaks and weirdos and lots of sex and drugs. And um, it was so different to my life. Um, And I suppose it it, it sort of gave, gave me a sort of a a yearning and a desire to, to move on. Um, and and the track that I played over and over again was was waiting for the man. Yeah. Again, absolutely out of anything I'd experienced. I'd never had to walk up to a brownstone in New York and go in with all these weird people and find my dealer. Yeah. <laughs> I just went to the local pub underage and drank brown ale. <laughs> <laughs> was I mean, you know, you, you're talking about your, your brother's record collection and, and obviously isn't there like the the velvets and stuff was the people that you was going to school with immersed in that sort of music or were they you know was you never sort of drawn to any of the kind of more shiny commercial pop that was probably on top of the pops and no no i mean you know the the, the people i hung out with were, were more the the kind of arty type who you know who would turn their back on all that yeah as as my elder brother did um and those are the people i was drawn to and and actually the sort of focal point of the of the Oh, no, I went to Seven Oaks School, which is a sort of a public school, but it had an absolutely amazing art department run by this incredibly um, inspiring guy called Bob White. Um, and he taught art, but he also taught about life and ways of looking at the world and uh, and ways of understanding. And, you know, I learned so much more in the art department than I did anywhere else at that school. Um, and... And one of the other things they had there was was a record player and a record collection that, that the kids over the years would bring in stuff. And, you know, after school, I'd hang out there and a lunch hour, I'd hang out in there. And and even during lessons, they, they would they would be playing some of this music. So there was lots of Bob Dylan there. Um, and, you know, listening listening to Bob Dylan always takes me back to those days. Um, and and you know lots of albums which were very similar. I mean, like the Velvet Underground, similar to what my my brother was playing. You yeah. know, it was it was kind of anti pop. But isn't that slightly snobbish? Sort of old grey was a fair test. Assumption. No, old so. grey was a test kind of world. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it was kind of like albums, not singles. And oh, yeah. you know, oh, you mustn't watch Top of the Pops. Although I did watch Top of yeah. the Pops because of Pants People. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it, it's amazing. You know, out of the um, that art department, 
um, lots of musicians came out of there. Um, half the gang of four came out of that art department. Oh, really? Um, and the Mekons. In fact, one of the Mekons was, was Bob White's son. Um, so, you know, that period in the mid seventies where everything, I mean, it's extraordinary when you think about seventies music, you had all these things coming together. You've got, you've got heavy metal becoming a thing, which again, you know, that, you know, that was an English British thing largely as it started. Um, you had glam rock, you had disco, you had pub rock, which was, you know, a really big thing in the mid seventies. And I think it's, and then you fast forward just a couple of years and like I love watching the kind of retrospective episodes of Top of the Pops now and, mm. um, and a few months ago they had one from 79 on and you've got like the kind of emerging sort of post-punk scene you've got the tail mm. end of like a, a kind of the, 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 the I don't know lots of mohawks and shitty punk yeah. really that, 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 <laughs> yeah. that, that, that sort of come from good there. punk didn't last very long <laughs> no. did it? Uh, but then you've also got you've got the sort of disco and then you've got two-tone and like and you've got the stuff that was happening on like stiff and things like that and it was like it was such an exciting time for music it was yeah i mean you know and and amazingly tribal as well that you would have to sort of nail your colors to the type of music you, you liked and and then you might then find I, I prefer that stuff over there i wish i could listen to some of that uh, <laughs> but, I've already but yeah there the was clothes. so much you <laughs> yeah. know there was so much going on through the 70s and then yeah and obviously you know the that huge punk explosion which, which the good part of it went into into two-tone but yeah there there was a lot that you could say right this is my music i'm going with this and 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 it was all feeding into each other and that rivalry between all the stuff was yeah. was really it was really creative and so out of that mid 70s period you know when well starting with pub rock and then moving into punk rock that idea of what you know it's been overdone but you know you can do it for yourself and everybody wanted to start a band i think there'd been a bit of that in the early six in, in the 60s when the whole guitar group thing started but i don't know what had happened slightly in the in the, in the early 70s but certainly from the mid 70s everybody was wanting to to be part of this well you was right you, you, I did, um, yes. I mean, I went to, um, I took a year out, then I went to Norwich, home of rock and roll, uh, in 1977, where I met Paul Whitehouse. We gravitated towards each other because we were, we were two of the few people at university who wore straight jeans. Um, I've tried to explain this to my kids. I've said, and they said, well, well you know, um, because, you know, they thought that only a few people wore flares. They thought that was, oh, some hippies. You know, if you're a hippie, if you're an outsider, you wore flares. It's hard to get across that everybody wore flares. Mm. Even businessmen wore flared trousers with their suits. Mm. And if you, if you wore straight jeans, you'd be chased around and beaten up as some kind of aberrant figure. So, uh, so yes, at university, the, those few people who wore straight straight jeans got together and and we formed a punk a punk band in Norwich called the right hand lovers um which didn't last very long because paul and most of the rest of the band were thrown out of university for not doing any work <laughs> um and punk had kind of died by that point anyway um and i formed another band which eventually became the higsons which is what i did which is what i did for, for you know for five or six years after leaving university i, I yeah i was a professional singer 
I, I, I'd been watching you on the television for many years and had no <laughs> idea um, that that you had this, uh, you know, th- th- this previous uh, career, and and I've discovered that the Higsons in a really bizarre way. I was a, a huge, huge REM fan, and mm. they'd done a secret show at the Borderline in 1991 under the name of um, Bingo Handjob. <laughs> and uh, and Billy Bragg was on stage with them, uh, and and Robin Hitchcock was on stage with them. Right, okay. And I was hearing Michael Stipe singing this song called "Listening to the Hicksons," and I was like, "What's <laughs> this?" And and then when I found Robin Hitchcock, and then subsequently, and what was so weird was um, at this point I was going to watch Gallon Drunk all the time, and, yeah, yeah. and so I had no idea that. Terry, who's also a lovely gentleman that's been on this podcast a few times. Oh, brilliant. And, uh, mm. and had no idea that Terry was also in the Higsons. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a very bizarre way of, of, of finding Well, finding I mean, music. you know, I think, I think more people know us from the Robin Hitchcock song yeah. than know us from actually <laughs> going to see us. And, and, you know, probably like you, most of them have no idea what the Higsons were mm. and... and and I've seen a couple of things where the, the, the people have done sort of spin-off things where the Hicksons are, are sort of like this sort of weird, they've imagined them as being sort of a weird sort of Illuminati type of organisation. <laughs> no, we were a, we were a sort of uh, a scratchy punk funk outfit from, from, uh, from Norwich. <laughs> I mean, it's quite interesting that you sort of done it in a different way to, to, to lots of other people that you know in in the comedy industry if you you know if i was sort of thinking about this earlier on sort of in the drive in this morning if you look at vic and bob and, and you look at coogan and you look at peter Kay and lee evans all of these people established themselves in comedy and then pursued this little sort of side hustle as as, as entertaining themselves with, with this kind of i want to be a musician i want to just tick that box and uh and you don't the other way around well, I did it the proper way around. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's great to do when you're when you're a young man or a young woman. You get it out of your system. You know, do the whole rock and roll thing. Yeah. Um, uh, but I mean, but that that was, I guess, that was what gave me a love of performing, performing to an audience. Um, although I, I never wanted to do that as comedy. But I mean, you know, in in 1977, if you wanted to get on stage and ask about and impress your mates and get off with girls, if you're a, well, a man or a woman, uh, you would form a band. Yeah. And that's what Paul and I did. It, it didn't cross our minds for one second that we might, they thought, hey, let's do a comedy act. Mm. What? Are you nuts? But it's funny, Harry Enfield being uh, that bitch young, younger than us, when he was at um, university, forming a comedy act was a thing. Mm. And that's what he did. Um, and yeah, I, I, you know, he's probably one of those comedians who had a hankering so i really wish i had been in a band <laughs> um i mean a lot of them you know i mean like you know vic um vic reeves did have a band when he was mm. when he was younger he, he he dabbled in that world um and funny enough while when i was still at norwich and it must have been it must have been about 1980 um there was a night, a sort of night of music and entertainment, which did include comedy, and it was um, Rick Mail and Aid Edmondson. Um, I don't think 
were they the Dangerous Brothers? So it was whatever their comedy act was before they before they were were on TV. Yeah, it's a Dangerous and, Brothers. And you know, saw they? a bit yeah. of that, and thought oh, that's interesting, some comedy yeah. there. And then went next door to watch some long forgotten musical act. <laughs> but yes, it, it, you know, well, there's me and there's Ricky Gervais, <laughs> who did it when we were young. <laughs> Absolutely, and and I mean. Like you, I got into music to ask about on stage, to quote you, uh, and right. to meet girls. Uh, bizarrely, my band was managed by Ricky Gervais in, in a very strange really? about way that that's just... <laughs> but what I did want to say was with that, that, that in mind that, you know, you, you kind of sort of mock it a little bit of like you was just asking about on stage, but that's still no easy thing to do. So I, I just want to kind of get a, a measure of what you was like at that age. Was you a confident young man? Well, I've always been very shy, um, but, you know, I think you find a lot of actors, I mean, I don't really class myself as an actor, but I think a lot of actors are very shy. And people say to them, well, how can you go on stage in front of all those people? And they say, well, it's not me going on stage, it's the character I'm playing. Yeah. And, you know, I might be playing a super confident character, in which case I'll be super confident on stage and it'll be quite fun. I mean, for me, you know, like, playing someone like Swiss Tony and we've 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 done Fast Show Live. Yeah. If you do that live on stage, I'm Swiss Tony and I'm there pontificating to an audience, which mm. is much harder to do going out as Charlie Higgs. And although, you know, it, it I think a lot of people have said it, it you know it's easier to talk to a room of a thousand people than a room of five people. Because a, a crowd is an entity whereas five people are, are five different people and you're thinking, well what are they thinking about me? Yeah. Um or oh, they're not paying attention, or well, they've gone to sleep. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I did, you know, I, I've always enjoyed that aspect of performing, of being able to sort of step outside of being myself and uh, and being someone else on stage. And the great thing about being in a band is you, it's not just you standing there. You've got a huge rack of amps and some very loud drums yeah. and, and other people to take the stick. So, um, what was the question again? <laughs> no, we we we've kind of got to the end of that question. It was just oh yeah, about confidence. And, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, confidence performing. I mean, and I, you know, as, and I said before, you know, I I got a love of being on stage, and it's uh, what was great about being in a band is you've got a direct, direct connection with your audience. You know, if, if say you've written a new song, you can play it for the first time to an audience, engage what yeah. they're thinking, and and you know, writing a book is not like that. Yeah. You very rarely meet the people who read it, and and you know you might do a reading in at an event or something, but it, um, it's not the same. And 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 that's what I like. You know, when we were doing um, comedy in the nineties, doing well, we, Paul and I started the first thing that we wrote for was was Saturday Night Live. We were writing for Harry. Um, we were doing Stavros and loads of money, and that was live in front of an audience. Yeah. It was like a um, you know, it had a sort of rock energy to it. And, you know, we could work on something during the week and on, well, it moved to Friday quite quickly. And then on the Friday night, we'd go to the to the show as punters almost. And our material would be going out. I mean, Harry had the tough job of actually being there live on stage, yeah. live on TV, doing this stuff. Um, and you could hear people laughing at your jokes. And that that was an amazing feeling. And then when we did Harry Enfield television programme and then the fast show, we would record the more the bigger sort of 
the bigger, more sort of obvious stuff, I suppose, we would we would record in the studio with a live audience. Yeah. And you know, there's this thing now, people going about, oh, it's got canned laughter. Well, no, canned laughter is something very specific. Canned laughter is when you haven't recorded it with an audience, but you're sticking laughter on. Mm. Famously, growing up, it was things like the Flintstones, mm. where, where where you think of people laughing at a cartoon they weren't there yeah. when this was performed I never thought about and that. you would start to recognize some of the laughs <laughs>, um, laughs but you know we were we we got that energy from the audience and and you get that instant feedback of whether something is funny or not um uh, you know whether you know where you need to put a bit more work in and stuff so um i i, I love that um that aspect of it and it, it's a shame that it's kind of fallen out of fashion for, yeah. for tv comedy yeah. um you get it on on chat shows yeah and stuff like that but um most comedy now is you know it's all single camera two people in a flat talking about their relationship yeah imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm going to ask you to tell me the first song you remember buying from a record shop, please, Charlie. Well, as I was saying before, the the first stuff I remember buying was 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 albums. The yeah. first album I bought was a Fats Waller album. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was it was actually and I, and because I never really got into pop in the seventies, I I wasn't sort of buying the latest David Bowie or Sweet or whoever. Um, I only really started buying singles when, you know, in the late, in the second half of the 70s, where you suddenly have, you know, labels like Stiff Records, and you think, oh, I want one of those. That's a, that's, that's a collector's item. Um, and, and so you'd start, you know, I'd buy a lot of the early stuff. And I can't remember exactly the very first one I bought, but amongst the first records they ever bought was uh, England's Glory by Max Wall, which is a song that uh, Ian Jury wrote for him. And the, uh, the early Stiff Records was were, were so interesting yeah. 
was that transition from from pub rock to to punk rock and it's sort of solidified into one thing as punk rock but in the in that sort of interim period there was just this sort of weird mix of of, of stuff and particularly that they were doing on 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 something like stiff records a lot of quite diverse acts including people like you know ian jury who amazingly was was sort of seen as a punk artist although yeah. there's apart from his attitude yeah there's there's not really a lot of punk in there there's no punk in there you know they were quite a tight jazz funk outfit yeah, really completely. the blockheads um and obviously you know sex and drugs and rock and roll um was one of the early singles i bought but the the max wall one i i must have heard it on on john peel or the like but i just thought that that's a fantastic record um and it's got everything that's great about ian jury it's a really well put together lyric and it's about englishness um, and it's all these sort of cultural icons and cultural references, a lot of which will mean nothing to a young audience to today. But at the time, for me, that was the kind of summation of my life at that point, what it had meant to me. There's a, there's a reference to Mr. Pastry in it, who was this, um, it was a sort of pantomime act, a music hall act, um, never really transferred to TV. But I remember going to see a pantomime, it must have been mid-60s, with Mr. Pastry in it, they used to, you know, between scenes as they were setting things up, you'd get the, the sort of comedy routine. Um, and he had a wallpapering act, which he'd probably done for like 20 years unchanged. Yeah. <laughs> because it hadn't been on TV. So a lot of people were seeing it for the first time. But, you know, it was it was a slapstick act trying to hang some wallpaper. And it stuck with me. And so it was great, you know, hearing the Max Wall yeah. song. I, I'd never with a heard reference that, to Mr. Pastry. I'd, I'd never you know, I heard it before. Well. No, and I, 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 I went and sort of had a look at it, and then uh, I was like, okay, and then I didn't realise it was on stiff, and then ended up going down this huge hole, just yes, looking like watching uh, Max Wall on, on YouTube, uh, and and then also just oh, he was extraordinary exploring um, stiff again, and yeah, I don't know if if Dave Robinson's ever wrote a book or if there's a documentary available on stiff but honestly uh, as really a label it's yeah. phenomenal and that really was 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 the area that i was interested in you know the sort of once hard punk yeah there was i bought some of the stuff but i liked the more sort of arty the fringes stuff mm. you know more the ian jury side of it than than um the exploited yeah or slaughtering the dogs yeah or whatever but i mean you know once you know that um, england's glory was written by ian jury it all makes sense yeah. and and i i'm pretty i'm pretty sure that it, it's uh, probably the nucleus of the blockheads playing it's certainly davy payne playing the saxophone I, the, you yeah. know the solo on it is is absolutely unmistakably him yeah I'm going to ask you now. I'm going to sort of fast forward to uh, to, to going out and about, and uh, and ask you to tell me the song that soundtrack your years going clubbing. Yes, I saw this on the list, and I thought that's a bit presumptuous. <laughs> Do I look like the sort of person who spent years clubbing? Um, and I'm not really. I've never liked clubs yep. or music festivals. I don't like crowds particularly. Um, and, you know, the equivalent for me in the 70s when I was a teenager was discos. Hmm. And 
it's interesting because there's a lot of stuff about discos now where, and this is mainly from the American perspective, where they're saying disco is this amazing thing, and it, you know it was, um, it, it it was open to everyone. It, it was all about love and happiness, and uh, you know black people, gay people, um, drag drag acts, whatever. You know, disco is just peace and love and people having a, a beautiful time. It was not like that in the suburban discos of England in the mid-70s. Mm. Essentially, if you wanted a fight, you'd go to a disco. Mm. Uh, all the lads went to the discos and it wasn't like Saturday Night Fever where they're all drawn together by dancing in unison. Yeah. No, they would basically just be getting drunk and hitting each other. Yeah. So I, I, I largely kept out of um discos i didn't fit in and then during the 80s you know for the first half of the 80s i was i was in a band and we were playing all these england the uk then had a lot of these sort of mid-sized clubs that the that, that bands could play at. obviously you know the bread and butter tended to be the university the college circuit or whatever because they would always pay too much mm. <laughs> because it was some student organizing it um but there were still lots of clubs around the place and places to play um to play live for a band of our stature where you know we, we got quite big but we never moved up to play the, to play the really big mm. clubs but you could make a good living just playing the, the sort of mid-sized ones but then as the 80s went on more and more of them stopped doing live bands because they could see you know you put the Higsons on on a Thursday night, you get 100 people turn up. You don't put the Higsons on on a Thursday night, you get someone playing some records, you'll get 500 people turning up. Yeah. And the economics of that is pretty straightforward. Yeah. You know, we played the, the you know, the, um, it is called the factory, isn't it? In Manchester. There was the, the factory that, um, that was the first Wilson owned one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we yeah we played the, the, I was thinking no that's the, Andy Warhol thing in New York but it's the same thing yeah um, <laughs> now we did go to New York you know we played all the sort of obvious places in New York like the, the Wag and the Peppermint Lounge and, oh really yeah all the, all the big places in in New York we had a brief time when we were we were sort of on the verge of being quite big, um, and if you had a record that had been picked up somewhere and New York was the sort of place that did pick up that kind of stuff. You know, you could go and play these places. Um, you'd go and stay in the Hotel Iroquois with about six other English English uh, musical acts who were slightly hard up. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so, but then, you know, we saw that all these places would, were stopping to do live music and there were, there were fewer and fewer places that, that, that would put us on. It's one of the reasons we stopped doing it. And... By that point, I was in my, I was sort of 26 and I was thinking, well, you know, that I'm too old for rock and roll. Things have changed since then. Um, and I didn't really want to embark on taking lots of drugs and going to all these clubs. I sort of, I thought, oh, Christ, I did that in my late teen years. I didn't realise that these clubs were all full of middle-aged people off yeah. their tits on ecstasy or whatever <laughs> i love that you're completely writing yourself off at 26 no, well it. i know well that's what it felt at the time you know even by sort of 22 you think oh i'm a bit old <laughs> you know you look at something like madness they you know they started when they were 16 yeah yeah um 
but yeah so uh, uh but i didn't like I, I didn't i still don't see the appeal of going to oh there's a star dj on yeah what does a star dj do he's gonna put some records on yeah you know, um, you know, it might be a bit of a light show and they might wave their hands in the air a bit and exhort you to, to, to party harder. But it was not for me. So I didn't really get into clubbing at all. I missed out on that completely. The whole clubbing scene, the rave scene, the even, even the sort of, you know, as I say, the music festival scene, I just didn't get into it. It wasn't for me. Mm. Um, but if I had, <laughs> the one actor I really love is, is Fatboy Slim. Mm. And... You know, he went through, you know, and Norman had been through a very similar sort of musical arc through the through the 80s that we did with a sort of indie band who is sort of fun mm. and entertaining and not trying to be the Smiths or whatever. Um, and then, you know, he sort of reached a stage of thinking, what do I do now? Where do I go with this? by the late 80s i was starting to get into comedy and thinking actually i like this yeah um and he got into the whole the whole club scene and and you know i think his records are really are really well done they're really interesting he's got such an interesting range of of, of music that he's putting into them as the feeding into that and um i love all his stuff and but uh, my favorite track of his is is gangster tripping mm. which um we used on the faster actually he allowed us to use it we did a, a parody of the sort of guy ritchie style um english gangster mm. film called it's a right real cockney barrel of monkeys um <laughs> and we did a sort of fake trailer for that using gangster tripping which works really well and then when we did the, we started to do the fast show live um we used that piece of music as the sort of play on music for for paul's uh chris the crafty cockney He's Cockney exactly. geezer who just basically nicks everything. Um, and I always remember because during these live shows, you'd be you'd be at the side getting into another costume and putting a wig on or something as quickly as you could. And whenever that music came on, it really lifted me and it lifted the audience. And I just think it's a fabulous piece of music. Superb. I'm going to take you home now and ask you for oh, track six. You. I've been out too long. <laughs> you have. <laughs> um <laughs> Can you tell me, please, Charlie, a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please? Home county? Don't worry, Charlie. I've done 500 of these episodes and I you're probably the 490th I... person to have that exact response. I need to put county in big, bold letters. I know. I was thinking, England, that's a fairly wide choice. Yeah. However, home county, I mean... Is David Bowie, is he technically from, from Kent or South London, would you say? I'd probably say South London. But, uh, but I mean, he, said, we... he lived in Kent for a while. Right. Okay, that's good. If you want to talk Bowie, let's talk Bowie. Yeah, I, I'm going to because I can't think. I mean, who the bloody hell's from Kent? <laughs> <sighs> that's a good pub quiz question. Yeah. Name five acts from Kent. Was, was one of the Stones not from Kent? Well, they all sort of, all of that lot were in that sort of slight suburban yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. Out, outer, outer London ring, yeah. weren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah, we're... I'll let you have Bowie. Let's say, I'll David, let I'm sure Bowie. David Bowie lived in Kent for yeah. a while. <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely been there. <laughs> well, I'm going to go with a track that I mentioned before. 
mainly because it was a toss-up for 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 the best intro, and I did mention it before. Sound and Vision, yeah. um, which I think is is a fabulous piece of music, um, and I remember hearing that. And again, I think I probably first heard that on John Peel when it came out in the seventies, and uh, I just saw it, it, it. The sound of it was amazing. Um, I mean, one of the things I really like about David Bowie is I'm not into lyrics at all. I, I, I'm hopeless on a lyric round. Um, that surprises you know, some, me as a writer. I don't. Yeah, because I, I, for me, music is is what it sounds like and the yeah. feel of it. And and you know, uh, David Bowie and Bob Dylan. Have a, have a sort of similarity in that there's, you can listen to the songs, you think, this is kind of about something, but I don't really know what. Yeah. Um, and I can impose my own meaning on it and it can mean whatever I want it to. And for the same reason, I listen to a lot of world music because I'm not constantly being bombarded. You see, most pop music has one meaning mm. and it's quite specific. And, you know, once you've heard that once, you don't want to keep being reminded that someone's in love or they've just broken up. Yeah. You think you will stop telling me that over and over again. Yeah. Um, but David Bowie, you know, people, oh, amazing lyrics. But, you know, he freely confessed himself that, you know, he's writing things on bits of paper and cutting them up, sticking them together. Well, that yeah. sounds good. Um, and I've always assumed, actually, that the, the, the line blue, blue, electric blue, because I know a lot of the times when he would be like in the studio working with the musicians, putting the songs together, they do things like play over existing songs and sort of noodle around and make their own stuff up but also and it's a thing that a lot of um songwriters do in bands is is you just sing any old gibberish that comes into your head mm. to start with and i've always assumed that, that he was he would he started out by singing the old so blue advert blue blue so blue yeah um and then just changed so to electric <laughs> Because uh, it's it's quite similar, um, but yeah, I mean, I've got no idea what sound and vision is about, and I don't want to be told if it does have a meaning. Um, it's fantastic, isn't it? It is, and the sound of it is just extraordinary. It's the payoff you get when that synth line drops. It's it, it keeps you, you, you. You've got to wait for the intro to really get going before that comes, yeah. and when it does, it's beautiful. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, I don't like a lot of synthetic music. But there's a but there's a feel to this. Yeah. It's not it's not it's not just pushing buttons. Yeah. There's and it, and it it just has an atmosphere and a mood and um. You know it's, it, it 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 it's beautiful and alluring, but also there's a sort of slightly weird queasy edge to it as well. Yeah. Um, is definitely someone who's taken too many drugs? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And, you know, listening to it, you know, as we are saying before about music taking you back, I can remember I first heard this in the bath in my house in Kent, listening to the radio, and it came on. I thought, that is amazing. Fantastic. And a brilliant intro, which starts with drums. Yeah, absolutely. Charlie's your last track. Uh, and for this, um, you get to uh, be a tastemaker uh, <laughs> or influencer, as, as as the kids are calling it. Um I'm not sure I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna change most people's taste with this. Um I as I just mentioned, I listen to a huge amount of world music. Uh and and, and in fact, you know, even as a teenager in the seventies, I, I really loved um my brother had a, a double album called The Non Such Explorer. The Non Such a great 
great record label that do a lot of stuff from all around the world um and and this was a sort of compilation so four sides it was one side of like indian music one of african one of south american and mexican and one of kind of european folk music um and i listened to that over and over again and, and i've always listened to world music ever since because again it takes me out of myself it takes me to other places um but i was trying to think of a something that people might not have heard uh and b something that um would fit into a general kind of a rock um lineup and um i <laughs> this can sound so pretentious i really like mongolian music <laughs> <laughs> well i that do can't i love not sound pretentious it's I know, impossible there's no way of saying that that doesn't sound like uh, uh <laughs> but i do i love um throat singing <laughs> this gets worse doesn't it and the whole guttural thing um and th and there are some great mongolian heavy rock bands mm. who mix traditional mongolian instruments with traditional rock instruments and Mongolian singing. Um, and I've got no idea what they're singing about. And there's a, there's a great band called The Who, The Who, but it's spelled H-U. Um, and some people might have heard they did do a track on one of the... Dis uh, some people might know them because they did do a track on one of the Star Wars computer games. Right. Um, but this track is called Wolf Totem. Um and they look great as well. They yeah, they look, look like incredible. A, they just look know, like, like crazy a... Mongolian metalers. Uh, yes, <laughs> mixed with a sort of a there's a sort of um, Game of Thrones yeah aspect to it, sort of fantasy aspect to it. And and you know, so many heavy metal bands, you just think, oh, look at those twats. They can't quite pull it off, but these guys do. Absolutely, <laughs> they look great. And I I love the way that they've mixed, as I say heavy rock with yeah. traditional mongolian instruments and some throat singing yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh wonderful charlie it's been such a delight uh talking that's been with great you. fun um uh, thank you so much for coming on and just to remind people the podcast they can get it now they can get it anywhere you listen to podcasts willy willy harry stee charlie higson's history of the monarchy and if you want to listen to any of those um Charlie Higson and Friends. Um, it's, you know, if you're thinking, oh, I'd quite like to get into classical music, it's not a bad way because that's really what the show's about, my Scala shows. Um, I'm not entirely sure, but you might have to go through the Scala app to get them. I did have a listen this morning, so I've definitely got a link for it, so I'll put it in the okay, show brilliant. notes so people can Fantastic. find it. We'll also put together, um, Charlie, a Spotify playlist of all of the songs that we've spoken about today, so people, if they haven't heard them, can go and listen to them as well. Fantastic. Charlie, thank you so much. I'm going to press I've been stop, my pleasure. But don't go anywhere. As if. That, ladies and gentlemen, was Charlie Higson. I mean, I'm still buzzing. Um, after that, we recorded a little interview for um, the magazine that I run called Pop Bible, and he was so gracious with his time. When we finished that, we carried on chatting about music and, and bits and bobs, and it was lovely. And, yeah, I've said this so many times on this podcast, but whoever said don't meet your heroes, uh, they got that wrong um, because Charlie was an absolute delight. So go check out History of the Monarchy uh, wherever you get your podcasts and also go check out Charlie Higson and Friends if you like a, a bit of music chat uh, with some 
amazing guests, then uh, go head over there and give that a listen as well. Um, in the meantime, anything else you need to know about supporting the podcast um, and accessing other episodes, just go to the website, which is offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. I'm back next time. In the meantime, be excellent to each other, and I will see you soon. Much love. Bye-bye.